This morning, we're going to conclude a five-week sermon series that we've been in called Who's Your One? It's our focus on personal evangelism as we've begun 2020 with this emphasis on reaching out to others, reaching out to other people in our lives, reaching out to other people outside of our church, reaching out to people who aren't currently walking with Jesus. You heard me say this before, that it is our job to bring others into the kingdom, to tell other people about Jesus. And I'm challenging you to bring one person to Christ this year. Deeper than that, I want you to bring one person to church this year. It's not about church attendance. We've talked about that. It's about kingdom attendance. When we bring people here and, and, and we get involved and, and, and we learn, we come to small group, our walk becomes stronger. We have people around us and we build the kingdom. Over, this, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the importance of that one person in your life. And this morning... We're going to continue looking at that one person in your life, but, but now we're, we're going to focus on the, the how. And we're going to focus on what's been in the way of your personal evangelism. There was a young boy growing up on the East Coast many decades ago, and as a young child, he was, he was a fan of Babe Ruth and this young boy would listen to the radio every day and, 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 and listen to the baseball games just to hear his hero at bat. And year after year, he would, he would follow his icon in the newspaper. He would read the stat lines and, and listen on the radio. And he would, he would talk to others. He was so excited. And he grew up telling himself that he wanted to play baseball and be as good as Babe Ruth. Over the years, this young man would walk past the sandlot in the neighborhood, and as he would walk by, he would look over at the other boys that were playing and just put his, he just put his hands in the pockets of his overalls, and he'd kick a rock down the road, and he'd just keep walking. Sometimes he'd even go and stand outside the stadium where Babe Ruth was playing, and he'd listen to the roar of the crowd, and, and, and he'd come back the next day and listen to them again, and he'd continue telling himself that he wanted to play, he was going to play just like his hero. And over the years, he would continue to listen, he would continue to walk by the sandlot, he would continue to, to come to the stadium and, and listen to the roar of the crowd, and, and years went by. This boy didn't finish high school but rather he went into the family business. For 50 years, he worked as a cobbler. He repaired shoes of other people. And in his 70s, he looked back at his dream and, and he said, I still have that dream. I still, I so wanted to, to play like Babe Ruth. But see, he never reached his dream because he never tried. He never went in and, and started to play with the kids in the neighborhood. He, he was too nervous to ask them if he could play with them. He, he remembers not owning a bat or a glove, and, and he said, I can't play because I don't have the right equipment. And he, he remembers 
telling himself that, that he wasn't even really good enough, and so he, he didn't go and play or try out for the high school team. And he remembers saying, you know what, there's, there's no way that a team is going to pick me. Then he remembered the 50 years that he had spent fixing other people's shoes. Certainly not a bad career, but it's not what he set out to do. See, this dream of playing baseball like Babe Ruth, it went to die simply because this young man never tried. He never stood up. He never, he, he, he never walked up and said, I'm going to do this. And that happens to us as Christians at times, too. We have these grand ideas that we're going to go out and we're going to evangelize to, to save the world, but then we look back at the, at the end of the year, we look back at, at 365 days and we, and we realize that we didn't bring our one to church, we actually brought zero. Sometimes it takes that first step, which is difficult. And this morning we want to look to eliminate the roadblocks that are going to be in your way, <clears throat> that are going to be in your way this year. Those challenges that, that block us, that keep us from bringing other people to church, we want to eliminate these obstacles be before they become obstacles. You're going to notice in your notes this morning that there are so many blanks to fill in. And I'm going to tell you that this is one of the most important messages that you're going to hear all year. I want you to take this bulletin. After you've filled in these blanks today, I want you to go home and put this on the refrigerator. I want you to keep this handy. Don't just put it in your Bible and leave it there and pull it out next week. I want you to put it somewhere where you can see it. Today's message is so important in our sermon series, Who's Your One? Because if we let the enemy win, our one will become zero. Our one can remain at zero. The Apostle Paul says this in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse number 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. If we truly believe that, we must tell others about Jesus. We should have this passion to bring others into the kingdom. That's our job as Christians. Let's get started this morning. We're going to start filling in some blanks in your notes. For those of you joining us for the first time, you'll find on the left-hand side of your bulletin, there's some, there's some spots and we've got pins and I just asked you to keep up. We're going to put up these points up on, the, up on the screen. Point number one in your notes this morning, in order for us to meet our challenge this year, we must commit to being an intentional witness. We have to commit to being an intentional witness. What does it mean to be a witness? Before the Lord Jesus ascended into heaven, his last words were this. In Acts chapter 1, we see it in verse number 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's our job is to be a witness. He didn't say, you might be my witness. He didn't say, eh, you know what? You can be my witness if you feel like it. He didn't say, I have a special job for only the most qualified. That's not what he said. He said, you will be my witness. That didn't give us a choice. He didn't ask you if you wanted to be his witness. He told us 
We are to be his witness. It's this assumptive presentation that he knows that this is our job. This is what we're going to do. This, being a witness, is going to require intentionality on our part. It's not just going to happen. It requires us to be intentional. Three things that you need to be an intentional witness. These aren't in your notes, but you can write these down. First of all, you need the will. You need the will to be an intentional witness. Do you want to? We all should want to tell others about Jesus. If you don't have the will or the desire, you won't witness, period. You have to have a will and a desire. If you, if you don't have the will or the desire to lose weight or get fit or buff up, you're not going to go to the gym. You're not. Go to any fitness club in the world, and you're going to find people who are there willingly, intentionally, purposefully. No one's there working out against their will. They might be there working out against their strength. They might be there working, but they are there doing something because they want to. And nobody witnesses about Jesus, tells other people about Jesus if they don't want to. We have to have the will. However, this lack of will, this lack of desire can have devastating consequences to those in our family. It can have devastating consequences to our friends, to our neighbors, to people that we don't even know. The second thing that you need to be an intentional witness is accountability. If you've ever tried going to the gym, you know that it is a lot easier when you have an accountability partner. When you have somebody that's going to call you up at five in the morning and tell you to get out of bed and get your butt to gym, down to the gym, it's a lot easier when somebody is calling you. When you have somebody that you are accountable to, they're accountable to you. When you're going together. See, church is your accountability partner. The, the church as a whole, everyone here keeps each other accountable in our intentional disciple-making. There is somebody here in this room this morning that will help you and will, will be your accountability partner as we intentionally tell others about Jesus. Discipleship was never meant to be done in a vacuum. We're not to do this alone. We're not lone wolves. We're, we're not going out on our own. You don't have to do this alone. Look around. Everyone here, we're all accountable to each other. We're all partners in this mission. The third thing that you're going to need is maturity. <clears throat> As a disciple maker, in order to preserve the mission, we need to be able to grow, continue growing in our spiritual maturity. Maturity, is, it's, it's not staying stagnant. Maturity is always growing. See, if, we're, if we just stay in one spot and we don't grow and we don't move and we don't deepen, then we're not going to become any more mature. Would it be fair to say that nobody here is mature enough in their Christian walk? Would it be fair to say that we can all grow more? That there's a next level that we can move to? We could have 40-year Christians in, in this room today. 
And there's still something else that we can learn, right? We can have people here this morning that may have come to Christ last week. They need you as a mentor. You're their accountability partner. You help others mature. We need will. We need accountability. We need maturity to grow other people closer to Christ in the kingdom. You can go to the gym for the very first time, and you can look around that gym, and you know just by walking around who's dedicated and who are the mature fitness buffs in the gym. You see them, right? You see them by their results. You see them by their repetition. You see them by their dedication. You see them by their habits, their lifestyle. You see them by, by the clothing that they're, they're wearing. You see their muscles. You see that they have been dedicated to what they're doing and they have matured. This isn't their first time. They know what they're doing and they could help develop others. We can see a mature Christian by their fruit. One more note on this point. We've looked at some steps to be an intentional witness, but you can also be an unintentional witness. As a matter of fact, you're all a witness right now. This very moment, somebody saw you leave your home, a neighbor, somebody else in the apartment complex, they know where you're at right now. People are looking at you. People see you. People know you. What is it that they see? Are they seeing Christ? Are you witnessing Christ by your actions? Are they seeing the world through your actions, through what you do, through what you say? See, whether we're being intentional in our witnessing or not, we're still witnessing. We can unintentionally witness the wrong message to the right people. Now that becomes a harder situation that we have to go back and fix. See, when we're not intentionally witnessing about Jesus, and we're unintentionally witnessing about the world... We kind of make things worse for ourselves, huh? Yeah? Because then you start hearing those words like hypocrite, right? We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. I hope you're here for that. We've already talked about what happens when you find Jesus. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. I want you to see. There's a parable that, that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 46, he says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Jesus is saying here that once you find Jesus, once you find the kingdom of heaven in your own life, that you're willing to get rid of everything else in your life to buy into heaven, to own this, to bring others into this. He's further reminding us that there is such value in eternity with Christ that we desperately need to be telling everyone about it. This is a merchant who finds a, a pearl. Back in these days, this would have been one of the most valuable assets anyone could have. You would literally sell everything you have to own one. 
because that's how valuable it is. Think about everything you own. Think about everything that you physically own, everything that you call yours, whether it be your closet, whether it be your cars, whether it be what's in your kitchen. Would you sell all of that for Jesus? Everything for Jesus. Everything you own, not just for yourself, but sell everything that you own simply to tell others about Jesus. See, when we have something that valuable, it's so important to tell others about it. That leads us to point number two in your notes this morning. This one's pretty simple. You can look at it and probably fill in the blank yourself. Point number two is simply go and tell. Go and tell. I am right now challenging you. Consider yourself challenged this morning to invite one unchurched or unsaved person to breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Invite them to a meal sometime this year. I'd honestly like to see you do it sometime this month. I'm challenging you to find somebody in your life who does not know Jesus and invite them to a meal. I want you to share your testimony with somebody this year. Invite one of your neighbors over to your home. I want you to invite one unchurched person to church this year. Again, I'd like to see you do it this month. Who is it in your life who's not here, who could be here, that you could invite here? See, my challenge to you is to invite them. We pray to, we pray to the Lord that they will come. Our job is to invite, right? Continue to pray for them. <clears throat> We've seen statistics in the sermon series that say more than 80% of people who don't go to church say that they would go to church if they were simply invited. If somebody would invite me, I would go. I don't go. Nobody asks me to go. 80%, 80% of people say, I would go if somebody would invite me, but less than 6% of people in the church actually invite others. Less than 2% of people in the church will actually bring somebody. We're not going to reach everyone for Christ by bringing 2%. We need to bring people to church, amen? We need to bring people. Look at what Paul writes to the church in Corinth in, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is such an amazing passage. I love this passage. Paul's telling the church, he is telling them what they are. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 says, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not in ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. Paul's writing a letter to a church that he has been to in the past. He has come there, he has preached there, he has set up this church and he's saying, you don't need a recommendation letter from me to take out. You are the letter. The message is written on your hearts. You go and tell. He says, it's your job. You are the letter. I hope that the ministry of Jesus is written on your hearts because you, all of us here this morning, you are the letter. You are the witness. Let me ask, what are people reading? What are people in your life reading? Because they're reading a letter. 
I want them to be reading the letter of Jesus on your heart. I want you to be intentional as a witness. And being intentional as a witness requires us to go and tell. This entire sermon series, we've been asking, who's your one? Who's that one person in your life that you're going to bring to Christ this year? Who's that one person you're going to bring to church this year? I'm not challenging you to bring a hundred. If you bring a hundred, we'll put the other seats back out. We will make room, I promise you. We will have room if you all bring a hundred people. I'm challenging, you to, I'm challenging you to bring one person into the kingdom of God this year. When you were six years old, you looked forward to your birthday every year because your friends would come over and they would bring presents, right? They would come and, and, and you'd play birthday games. I don't know, who, who had pinatas at some of, you, some of your birthday parties, right? So uh, we would play, uh, anyone play pin the tail on the donkey, right? Anyone have like a real donkey? And, okay, so birthday games that you play, but, but you'd have friends come over. And when you're five and six and seven years old, you are so excited about your birthday because it is your special day. All your friends would be coming over to your birthday party. You want to know what friends came to your birthday party? It's the friends who you invited to your birthday party. Those are the ones. See, when you're six years old, you are intentional about making invitations and taking them to school. And you gave them out to some of your friends, and you didn't give them out to some people you didn't want to show up. Or maybe you did. Maybe you gave them to everyone in your class because you wanted everyone in your class to come and partake in the excitement of your birthday party. The people who came to your birthday party were the people who you invited. The people who come to church are the people who you invite. The people in the kingdom are the people who we're inviting, we're talking to, we're telling about, we're telling about the excitement, we're, we're telling them how, how great it's going to be at the party and we want them to be there. And we give them a personal invitation. Maybe we actually take some time a couple of weeks before and we make them an invitation and we take it to them at work or we take it to them at the store or we take it to them to our neighbors and we say, look, hey, um, we're having church on Sunday. We really want you to come. We want you to come because we want to tell you about something that is going to be an amazing, an amazing party that we want you to be at. Personally inviting people. If we don't invite them, you know what happens? See, the people who didn't come to your birthday party are the ones you didn't invite. Maybe they had something else going on. But the ones you didn't invite, they didn't come. How will you know, how will they know if we don't tell them? Paul writes that to the faithful in Rome. He writes this in Romans chapter 10. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they haven't heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? And how can anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Those are your feet. How beautiful are your feet for bringing the good news? 
And if you're sitting there saying today, Pastor, well, I've, I've never been sent to tell others about Jesus. Consider yourself sent this morning. Amen. Consider yourself sent. If you're waiting for somebody to tell you to go, I'm telling you right now, it's time to go. Challenge is set. This, this morning, is that moment. You're officially sent. You're officially challenged. For so many years, you've known of this responsibility to tell others about Jesus, but would it be fair to say that we've always found a reason not to? That maybe we haven't taken this responsibility as seriously as we should have. Maybe we've walked out of the house many times knowing what needed to be done, but we didn't do it. And it's absolutely the enemy getting in the way. Because he wants your one to be zero. He's not satisfied with you bringing one. He's okay with you bringing zero. He's even better with you staying at home. He's not happy with you bringing 40. He's certainly not happy with you bringing one. I want you to write this down. This leads to point number three in your notes. When it comes to doing our job and meeting our challenge, we need to recognize and repent of excuses. There's been a lot of excuses in our way so far in our Christian walk to even get to where we are now. And I'm going to tell you, now that you are officially challenged and officially sent, there are going to be many excuses that are going to pop up. They're going to pop up this week. There is no excuse that is acceptable, but many of the excuses become our lifestyle. We tell ourselves things like, well, I, 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 get, I get nervous talking to people, or maybe, maybe, I, maybe I, I stutter. And, and, or, or we tell ourselves this, well, it's just who I am. Like, I'm just not one to talk to others. Or we say something like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't want to intrude on somebody else's beliefs. Remember, you are a witness. We are absolutely a witness. Is that what we want our heart to be saying to others? That we're okay just... That we're okay seeing nothing? We should all be on our knees, honestly, right now, just praying and telling Jesus that we're sorry that we've used these excuses before in our lives. We've used them to keep us from telling others about Him. We're going to list some of these excuses here. These are the other points in your notes, and I want you to write these down because maybe you've used some of these or maybe you've used all of these, but we need to recognize that the enemy is putting these in our path as a roadblock to our testimony to other people. We now have a challenge, and these are going to pop up first excuse that we see quite often is when we're remaining in a spiritual coma. See, this happens when we fail to obey. This happens when we have this lack of growth. It's when our spiritual body becomes lethargic. It comes from that time when we tell ourselves that it's okay to miss church just this one time, or we tell ourselves that, you know, I'm, man, I'm tired. It's been a long day. You know, I'm okay missing small group this week. 
And then that turns into, you know, I'm okay missing small group a couple of times. And then that turns into, well, if I show up, it's going to look weird because I haven't been there in a while. Right? It comes from that time when you told yourself that it was okay. You know what? I'm just not going to tithe this month. I just, you know, it's okay. God will understand. I'm just, you know, my obedience, I'm okay. He gets it. It's when we tell ourselves that, you know, we don't need to call anyone for accountability. It's when your spiritual body becomes weak and it starts deteriorating. We we fall into the spiritual coma. And we tell ourselves, it's okay not to grow because I I get enough God. I go to church once a week. I'm okay. I listen to the radio some. I'm better than I was. I'm okay. I'm all right. You fall into the spiritual coma. It's It's an excuse that keeps us from growing. Well, what happens? We're just lying in a spiritual bed, just in a coma, waiting for somebody to feed us. And and if somebody brings us food, we might eat, we might not eat. We're not going to make any effort to go out and seek it ourselves. That's a hard excuse. It is. It is. Our second major excuse is this. It's called growing inclusiveness. It's this idea that we tell ourselves that it's okay to live by the world's mentality that, that all religions lead to God, that all roads lead to God, that, that we're just going to, we're, we're, we're okay with this inclusiveness. It's this subtle belief that somehow good people are going to make it to heaven. And so what happens is we go into our world and we say, you know what, I don't know if they're really saved or not, but they're good, and so I guess they're okay. And so we don't tell people about Jesus because we say, you know what, it, it's going to be okay with, with however they're going to get there. And, and, and we take this idea that there's so many different roads to heaven. And you know what happens in the end is we, we, we lead people down the wrong road because we didn't lead them to the right road. It's difficult enough for a non-believer to try and reconcile worldly inclusiveness. But for a Christian, we know that it's simply not biblical. The Bible tells us that there is one way. Jesus says, I am the way. Christianity is, by definition, exclusive in its claim. There is one way. If we as believers use the excuse that we're going to accept inclusiveness, then we're not going to tell people about the only way. It's our job to tell them about the only way to spend eternity with God the Father. Third major excuse is a disbelief in hell. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. We spent an entire sermon on hell. There's a lot of people, even people who call themselves Christians, who will tell you that heaven exists, but that hell is simply made up. It's just a place to scare people. See, if you don't believe what the Bible says about hell, if we take that and, and we put it on the sidelines of our mind and on our heart, if we don't believe in hell as the Bible teaches about it, then, then we have eliminated the urgency to tell people about Jesus. It's a deep part 
of understanding what our lives look like here on earth and after this life. We have to have this belief. If we, if we excuse this belief, then we have excused the urgency. See, if Christians choose not to believe in hell, that means that we're picking and choosing the parts of the Bible that we want that we want to understand, that we want to believe in. And what we've done is we've put ourselves in the position of God. And we've said, I'm only going to believe in this stuff, this stuff I don't really like. But what happens when we start picking and choosing, and then we put the saving grace of Jesus in that position as well? See, if we tell ourselves that it's up to us to determine what parts of the Bible are true, then we've jeopardized the entire Bible. We have put all of God's Word on our own balance scale. The truth about hell is no different than the truth about God's grace. We have to be able to understand them both. Jesus warned more about hell than he raved about heaven. One of the, the next major excuses that people use in not telling others about Jesus is simply the excuse of busyness. I get it. I know. You have kids. You have a job. You have two jobs. Maybe three jobs. Maybe you have soccer practice and bowling league. And, and you have a small group. And, and you've got books to return to the library. And, and, and you've got cookies to sell out front of the store. And, and you've got to go and pick up your cousin from the airport. And this is, life is busy. I get it. Jesus gets it. That's the world that we live in. Sometimes we say it's too, we're, we're, we're too busy. But busyness does not take away the problem. The problem doesn't stop just because we're too busy to solve it. It's still there. What if talking to others about Jesus was actually on our to-do list? What if we actually gave it priority on the top of our to-do list? On our agenda for this week, what if tell somebody about Jesus was up here at the top? There's a lot of things that you need to do this week. At one point this week, your one person needs to be on your agenda, needs to be on your list. See, if we don't make them a priority, we won't get to it. You know that there's a shed out in the backyard that's needed painted for three years and you'll get to it when it becomes a priority or there's a bike in the garage and that chain needs oiled so that the kids could ride on that bike and you'll get to it when it becomes a priority there's somebody who needs to know about Jesus and you'll get to them when they become a priority we need to make them a priority busyness is okay we're all busy but what's on our list we need to be able to put others and to make sharing the gospel, telling others our testimony, telling them about Jesus. We need to be able to make that a priority. Fifth major excuse that we need to, that we need to repent of is the fear of rejection. Research shows that only one in four unchurched people are going to be resistant to discussions about faith. That means 75 to 80% of the people in your life 
are willing to talk to you about faith. That's a pretty large number. 75 to 80% of people will have a conversation about you or with you about faith. Chances are they're going to want to share their faith too. This is a great time to talk to them. We have this idea that we're going to be rejected because we're talking about our faith. But research is showing that you have a better chance of building a friendship with somebody than you do on losing somebody in your life altogether. But still, we don't broach the subject. We don't, we don't bring it up. And Jesus tells us, he tells us this. He says, you're going to be rejected. We know that. We know that going in. But you know what Jesus also says? He says, when you are rejected, remember, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. He says, you're going to be rejected. It's all on me. Don't worry about it. I got this. They're not rejecting you. That's me. Jesus actually expects it to happen, and it's okay. It's fine to be rejected. If we fear being rejected, we should also rejoice in being received. What if we rejoiced in being received as much as we feared being rejected? That means knowing that the stats say 75 to 80% of people will receive our message. What if we rejoiced in that, in that 80% as much as we we feared the 25% that are going to reject us? The next excuse that we need to bring and repent of is the excuse of our desire to be tolerant. This one's going to be tough, but I want you to listen closely. The gospel is, in some senses, intolerant. The one true God insists that there can be no other gods. He is a jealous God, and to the Christians that means that there is a very narrow way. And it means that there is no other name. Period. There is no other name. If we have a desire to be tolerant, we will tolerate anything and eventually tolerate everything. That's what's happening in our world today is that everything is tolerated, even the actions of the intolerable. This is where as Christians, we must take a stand. We have to. We cannot tolerate other gods. We cannot tolerate other names. We cannot tolerate any other gospel. When God led the Israelites into the promised land, he told them, you're going to go into this land. You're going to wipe out everyone because I don't want my people. (coughs) I don't want my people to be around other gods. I do not tolerate other gods. He was very strict in his message. We can be loving, but we cannot be tolerant for anything outside the gospel message. The next major excuse that we're going to look at this morning is losing the habit of witnessing. You might have fallen into this one before. Maybe you used to be a good witness of the gospel. Maybe there's a time in your life when you told people about Jesus and, and, and you shared your faith, but you quit witnessing. Maybe you kind of gave up on it. Maybe it was a lifestyle fad at one point. Here's the nice thing about this excuse is that we can fall into this trap, but we can always pick it back up. It can be regained. Our strength in witnessing 
does not need to remain stagnant. It can be rejuvenated. They say it takes 21 days to form a habit. Flip side of that says it takes 21 days to break a habit. See, those first three weeks when you made those excuses and you were okay not witnessing takes about three weeks and then boom, you're out of the habit. But three more weeks in practicing, three more weeks on working on it, we've created that habit back. The next excuse that we need to be careful of this season as we walk out and we take on this challenge is a lack of accountability. We talked about this earlier. Having an accountability partner, people holding you accountable, you holding others accountable, having this increased zeal for witnessing with others. Who are you mentoring? Who is mentoring you? Who are you calling and saying, hey, let's go out. Let's go out this weekend. Let's go down to the park, tell people about Jesus. Let's invite people to, uh, to small group. Let's go invite people to church together. Let's grab some of these invite cards, some of these yellow cards. Let's go hand these out. Let's go and talk to people. Accountability is so important to the growth of almost anything. You want to grow in your understanding on, on how to become a better cook? You want, you, want, you want to learn how to make some more meals? Probably having a mentor is going to be helpful. Having somebody that's going to call you up and say, hey, you know, did you get the right ingredients? Somebody that you can, you can talk to. Having an accountability partner at the gym, we already talked about that. That's helpful. Having an accountability partner in witnessing, in witnessing is so helpful. And without it, we can fall into a trap as well. When we don't have any accountability, we can get away with doing nothing. And then it seems like nobody cares. But again, there are deep consequences for doing nothing. The ninth excuse that we can fall into, and I'm going to wrap it up here in a moment, is simply a failure to invite. Maybe we never created this habit. It sounds so simple to invite somebody, but honestly... We don't really do it that often, right? When was the last time, you don't have to answer this out loud, when was the last time that you invited somebody to church? When was the last time that you offered to pick somebody up? You know what, I'll come to your house, I'll pick you up, I'll take you with me. You know what, I'll walk in with you. Some people are nervous about even walking from the parking lot in there, in, in, into the sanctuary on their own. If you simply just say, hey, you know what, I'm going to meet you at the church, I'm going to walk in with you. It helps. It really does help. When was the last time that we did this? This failure to invite, this failure to talk to other people and, and, and bring that, that sense of bringing accountability, bringing a, a comfortable nature to somebody new coming to church. That's helpful. But sometimes we fall into that trap of just failing to invite. The 10th excuse is actually a corporate excuse. It's something that this falls on, on all of us. And if this is us, I want to repent of this as a church, but it's being a church that is not intent on reaching the lost. I don't know if you've ever been part of a church that's not intent on reaching the lost. And I certainly never want us to be that church. If we've ever fallen victim to not having a passion to reaching the lost, that's something as a church that we need to repent of. 
You know what they say that it takes 85 church members to reach an unsaved person? That's a terrible ratio. Churches must regain their passion to reach the lost. You see it in our tagline on on all of our signage. It's to reach Paris from within Paris. Reach is part of our culture. To reach out into our city. There's community organizations that are going to reach out with, with, with meals. There's community organizations that will reach out with clothes. They will reach out with diapers. There are community organizations that can reach out to help you pay your electric bill. Ladies and gentlemen, the church is to reach out to bring others to Jesus. That's our job. That's what we are to reach out to do. Now, we will do events. We will go out into the community. But we have one goal in mind. One goal in mind is to reach Paris for Jesus. That's our job. A church should never be a building where Christians just go to hang out with each other, but it should be a place where the spiritually ill are coming to help the spiritually ill. Where we come together. This isn't a room full of angels. We're all, we're in a a room full of others who are spiritually healing. I don't know if anyone flew in with your angel wings and your halo on this morning. Just kind of came in the front door and sitting back, you got this sparkling halo on this morning. If you're here with your halo, you can come up here and preach. (laughs) This This is all your pulpit. How many of these excuses have you used? How many of these excuses over the last many years have you used Maybe more than you want to admit to. I know I've gone a little bit long this morning, but I told you this was important, and I want you to take this list, and I want you to keep it handy. I want you to put it on the refrigerator, and every day when you look at your to-do list, what's going on when you see that one person on there, and and when the enemy starts giving you excuses, you know those excuses are, are there. We've gone over them already. We've talked about them. We recognize them, and this morning as we pray I want you with me to repent of these excuses. I challenge you to invite your one. Next week we're going to we're going to jump back into our chronological look at the life of Jesus. We did this all last year and we're going to continue. We stopped for 5 weeks for Christmas, we stopped for 5 more weeks to focus on personal evangelism. We're going to go into a three-week sermon series called Twisted Scripture. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 and some, some things that Jesus said that our world has twisted to turn into what they want it to say, but it's not what Jesus said. We're going to look at this. This would be an amazing time to bring somebody to church next week. This sermon series, we're coming up on Easter. We're coming up on, on, on our, our, our own celebratory Sunday called Sunday 100 here soon where we want to have 100 people at church. There's great opportunities. There's great reasons to invite people to church, but none more greater than telling people about Jesus. My question for you this morning, there's three questions that are going to be up here on the screen. These are important. Will you be intentional? Will you be intentional this week Will you be accountable? Will you find somebody in our church to be accountable to and to be accountable for? 
want you to make partnerships. I want you to get phone numbers. Make sure you leave here today with somebody's phone number to become an accountability partner. And finally, will you be mature as a disciple maker? To be mature means to continue to grow. To be a disciple maker means to teach somebody else. I know you don't know all the answers. That's why you bring them here. I don't know them all either, but we're going to teach and grow together. But you can be a disciple maker by telling other people your testimony, telling them about Jesus, and inviting them here.